Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Diving Into The End Zone. I'm Dominic Arbolino, Alex Warner is here with me as well, like always. Very excited to be back, very excited to dive in to some football. Uh, you have the college championship game too as well. And right now, we're going to be a live broadcasting. Obviously, again, you're not going to be hearing this as we're doing it. But it's Monday night. It is, what is the date, Alex? Help me out here. Uh, I have no clue. January 11th. January yeah, 11th. I, I have it right in front of me on my laptop. All I need to do is look at the big screen. So obviously, again, you're not. This, you know, the chances of you listening to it on January 11th is impossible. The fact that I'm going to be posting it on that Tuesday, but either way, uh, so it just you know we're going to be breaking that down as well. So let's get right into things because we have a lot to talk about. You know, we had that super wild card. NFL weekend, the first of many in the future, because this was the first time there was, you know, uh, six wild card games. You had three on Saturday and three on Sunday, but we're going to break it down with the latest one, which was the Sunday Night Football Clash between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, where the Browns defeated the Steelers by a score of 48-37. to And now with that victory and how the rest of the playoffs panned out, the Browns are going to be heading to Kansas City next week to face the Chiefs in the divisional round. So before we get into that preview matchup, I want to get into last night's matchup. Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns really taking it to the Steelers in that first half? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch too much of the game. I was in the middle of something, and then next thing I know, I'm getting notifications left and right. 7 nothing, 14 nothing, 21 nothing. It was crazy, like so quick, so fast. All in the first quarter, that hasn't been done since like – like 1960 or something like that. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, we've talked about on the show before how we've, uh, we met, we think the Steelers are one of the worst uh, undefeated teams at the time and how they are a lot worse than their record shows. As are a lot of teams this year, there happen to be a lot of bad teams in the league this year. So some teams' schedules were very easy. Pittsburgh Steelers being one of them, obviously. Um, that being said, turn to the Browns and their performance. Obviously, they, they knocked it out of the park in every phase of the game. Defense, offense, special teams, probably. I don't know. I wasn't watching. But uh, when it comes to the Browns, obviously, at this point, they're not a fraud. You know, people have been talking about it all year. Um, but I do think that this game was more of the Steelers being a fraud than the Browns being really good. I think the Browns are definitely a playoff team. Um but I don't think they have much of a chance next week against Kansas City. Now, one thing I want to bring up as well, let's not forget that the Browns, without they were without head coach Kevin Stefanski due to COVID-19. They were also without four of their starters as well. And let's, you know, COVID-19 has been a situation, obviously, for the whole entire league. But as of late, the Browns have been dealing with it a lot. You know, it comes down to also when they, way back when, or really three weeks ago, when they versed the New York Jets. They were without so many of their starters and ended up losing that game. And the thing is with the Browns is that it's just been such an issue for them. But somehow they managed to fight through it again, really stomping all over the Steelers. Obviously, it was a better second half for Pittsburgh than it was in the first half. But still, I mean, you look at the Browns, and I really love what they have. Baker Mayfield obviously has been playing a lot better this year. You have the running back duo of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's just spectacular. It's a nice one-two punch right there. Jarvis Landry leading the way for the wide receivers. Everyone seems to forget that they still have Odell Beckham Jr. Whether he'll be on the team next year or not is still probably a question. 
Uh, but you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, a rookie this year, really coming into play. Rashad Higgins as well. Austin Hooper coming over from Atlanta in the offseason. David Njoku, even though there were some possible trade requests there in the middle of the season, he still managed to fight through and you know still has some type of a role on this team. And you know everything is great. Their offensive line as well, adding Jack Conklin on the right side for that right tackle position. Actually, first team All-Pro. Ranked one at his position from Pro Football Focus. And then you also have Jedrick Wills on the other side, the first-round pick out of Alabama for your left tackle. I mean, you have Joel Batonio, who missed a game, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, but, again, still one of the best left guards in the game. J.C. Treader at right guard. I mean, they, they just have so much talent throughout that team. And for a team that, again, you weren't really sure was going to be a fluke, you know, and also how they managed to lose to the Jets, even being without their starters. Everyone was like, uh-oh, what's going to happen here in Cleveland? But they managed to pull through and beat the 12-4 and Pittsburgh Steelers, who, like like you said, and we've said on this show, they were probably one of the worst undefeated teams we've seen in the NFL. But, you know, and this just comes back to, again, just like all the drama in Pittsburgh that has happened throughout the season, from Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, dancing on the logos... But then, you know, he's, he's <laughs> he manages to go into the media on Thursday and says, you know, the Browns are going to be the Browns. It's the same team that we're going to be facing or that I've been facing my whole career. Obviously, that wasn't the case. The Browns took note of that and they, you know, put a beat down on the Steelers and they made sure that Juju knew because they were rocking the song that he always danced to in the locker rooms. And, you know, again, it was all over. But, you know, as they should, there's a player talking smack and you're going to make sure that if you beat them, you know, you're going to enjoy it and rub it in their face. Yeah, it's just like when anybody beats the Yankees in, in baseball. Everybody plays New York as if it's funny now, but it's kind of old. And um, when you talk like uh, when you talk like Juju does and you say that type of stuff, well, that, you know, with that absurd confidence, obviously he's a good player. But when you say stuff like that, it's going to motivate the other team and it's going to come back to bite you in the end. And this is also a type of situation, too. I don't know if Juju's been wanting to stay in Pittsburgh because, obviously, he's been there his whole career and, you know, he's had success there. You know, maybe this, maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers are thinking about it and say, do we really need to give him a contract extension? He's been all up in the media. He's kind of been a head case for us. And, you know, again, you're going into the offseason. You can save the cap space. You don't have to franchise tag him. And you let him walk. You still have Deontay Johnson, who has, you know, second – your wide receiver, who's emerged this year. Chase Claypool has looked really good. And then also you still have James Washington, uh, who I understand hasn't been the flashiest guy on that offense, but I really think it's just because the depth chart, you know, he's fourth there, hasn't really gotten the opportunity to. So no, yeah, like, speaking, of, speaking as a fan of a wide receiver team, needy team, I definitely love to see Juju leaving the Steelers. <laughs> Would you, I, I, out of the options, though, in – free agency this year, or the possible options, I should say. I feel like Juju's definitely lower on the list, though, for the Jets, as you are alluding to right there. I mean, I'd rather have Juju over your your heart of gold, Allen Robinson. Uh, I can't say that. I can understand Chris Godwin. I think I... I mean, there's, I mean, there's definitely an the age, age difference for Juju. Juju's, got, Juju's 24 as well. Yeah. Before his second contract. And, I mean, yeah, he didn't have the greatest years in terms of stats, but a lot of people translate that, you know, well, not a lot of people. I'm just saying you have to take into consideration what he did with Big Ben before Big Ben threw out his arm. And then, obviously, last year with seven different quarterbacks is 
not really his fault. But this year, Big Ben threw the ball, was throwing the ball five yards on 75% of his throws. So obviously he's not going to have a lot of yards because he's only getting like five, six yards of catch. There's not much he could do. But when Big Ben was throwing the ball deep and throwing the vertical passing game, Juju had a stellar season. That's why they're like, we don't even need Antonio Brown anymore. We got Juju now. I mean, I guess you make a good case there that, you know, Juju has been dealing with a lot of stuff the past couple of seasons. So, I mean, listen, all options are on the table. If the New York Jets find a way to get one of those wide receivers, I'll be ecstatic. And the four I'm talking about is Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, and Chris Godwin. If they manage to get one of those four, I'd be ecstatic. I see a lot of fans on Twitter going for Corey Davis. And although he has had a breakout season, you got to look at the seasons he had before. And I'm, you know, it's just a little bit of a risky, a little risky there. And he also is probably going to require, you know, a decent amount of money. The fact that he again did have a breakout season this year. Let's move on from the Browns and Steelers. Um, I just real quick, actually, before we do that, I just realized I didn't really give my prediction for the Browns and Chiefs. But like you said, they have a good team. The Browns, they do. I just don't think anybody's beating the Chiefs this postseason. I, I think they're going to repeat for the chip. I can say that right now. I, I think the Packers, obviously, I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl. I think they have a good shot, especially when you have a determined Aaron Rodgers. It's just it's so hard for me to bet against the duo of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, along with all the other weapons they have on that team. So I just think the Browns, it's just unfortunate that you're going to have to play the Chiefs here, but you're going to lose. If you manage to pull the upset, though, you shocked me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. Let's move on, though. Let's get to some more of the wild card games. Let's get to the New Orleans Saints defeating the Chicago Bears by a score of 21-9. Now, let's not forget, too, this game was on CBS and on Nickelodeon because, obviously, the NFL is trying to target kids a little more. And I I think they did a pretty good job at it, just to really take a quick note at it. I thought they were really teaching the game well, and I thought it was interesting. Of course, I ended up switching back to CBS because, you know, I want to take my playoff football a little more serious. But... I did enjoy the graphics and the slime and everything else it had. No, yeah, it definitely had a cool feel for the kids watching at home. Uh, like I was like saying, obviously some of the stuff seemed a little tedious to us, and we're like, all right, come on, like we really have to be doing this. But then, like uh, I was saying, like if I was nine, ten years old, like and I didn't really understand it that much, but I liked football, like it would be really helpful for me. And obviously, it's got the cool like cartoony stuff. And the slime zone. Every kid wanted to get slimed if you watch Nickelodeon. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. But, you know, you have to think of it from a children's perspective because that's what it's geared for. There was the game on CBS for a reason. If you didn't want none of the kids' stuff, then don't watch the kids' game. Yep. You know? It's like, you know, when if you don't want to sit at the kids' table anymore, you're going to have to deal with the adult conversations at the Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas, you know? Exactly. And Nate Burleson, I thought, did a great job, too, you know, being able to break down the game. I mean, that's exactly what he was there for, not only the, you know, color commentate with Iron Eagle's son, Noah, but he still managed to do a great job breaking down the game for the kids. Now, before we get into the actual game, I just want to tell everybody that Ohio State is starting out with the ball, and we'll obviously break down score for score and what happens. Alex and I both picked Ohio State to win, so throughout the show, you know, we'll go with it. It's not going to finish up because there's no way we have like a three-hour show, but we'll keep you updated throughout it. Um, all right, let's get into the Saints game, 21-9. to I'm not that surprised, but... It was a real snooze fest. Yeah, it, it, it really was. It was unfortunate. 
The Bears had one chance to get in the game, and it was when they dropped that six, like fifty yard touchdown. And that was that was their chance right there. Yeah, and that drop too. I mean, it, it is the postseason. You have to you have to find a way to catch that. I understand Javon Wims wasn't in every down wide receiver for the team. He was managing to get playing time just because rookie Darnell Mooney was injured for that game, so he wasn't able to play. But, I mean, that was a gorgeous pass by Mitch Trubisky, something, you know, that rarely happens, especially this season because, you know, there were so many up, ups and downs for Mitch. But, you know, that throw was beautiful, should have been caught. And, you know, I feel like if that if that was a score right there, that game would have been completely different. I just feel like it, it would have been a lot closer, clearly, but I just feel like that really just took the energy out of the Chicago Bears. And that defense yeah. is really good, but if your offense isn't scoring, it's going to be a tough day. Right, and then and like the biggest thing is obviously you lose seven points off the board, and they didn't even get the they didn't even end up getting the field goal there, so that's like a a huge momentum swing and lo- complete loss of points. Like that was no doubt touchdown, easy seven points. He was in the end zone, not even close to being out of bounds. All he had to do was catch the ball, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, and it's funny because the play before he made a tougher catch on the sideline, which again had to be reviewed because he bobbled it a little bit, but. He made a much tougher catch yeah. uh, to a minute before. So uh, it's just you hate to see it if you're a Bears, but nobody really expected them to win anyway. But you would have liked to see an entertaining game. And I'll tell you this too, for Saints fans, I mean, you, you finally managed to get out of the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's just in the past couple of years. I mean, I, I, I believe, I want to say they had a buy at one point, but really – New Orleans kryptonite has been the Minnesota Vikings. Thankfully, they did not make the playoffs for them. But, you know, every year you just saw that matchup happening. You're like, all right, well, Minnesota's going to manage to pull it off somehow. And thankfully, Minnesota didn't make the playoffs. So the Bears, I mean, excuse me, the Saints had it a little easier. But, I mean, again, like you said, it's just really expected. And... I mean, they played a good game. Again, like you said, it was a snooze fest, so I really didn't pay attention to a lot of stuff that happening after that really first half. And, I mean, good for the Saints. That's all I have to really say. Good for the Saints fans. Good for the Saints. And next week, they got a tough matchup again. Saints are playing the Buccaneers. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So that means it's going to be a Drew Brees versus Tom Brady for a third time this year. Yep. And, uh... It's gonna be a good game, uh, but there was a, um, a linebacker on the Bucks who uh, had who was on the COVID protocols right now. So you'd like to uh, keep an eye on that to see if anybody else on the team gets dragged down and possibly might miss this game. You know, the one guy who did get it was like a backup special teams guy. Obviously important still, but you know, not the focal point of your defense. So to keep an eye out if any Bucks players, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, go down to either COVID or just you know contract tracing where they're not allowed to play. So keep an eye on that. But, yeah, back to the game. It's Brady versus Breeze, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Brady is, like, 42 at this point. Breeze is, like, 38, 39. Not quite as old. But um hurts to say this as a Jets fan, but Brady has most definitely looked like the better quarterback by far. Breeze is definitely showing his age. Um, in terms of the running backs, you need to see if uh, Ronald Johnson can uh, play for the Buccaneers because – That'll be a big blow if they don't have him again this week. Obviously, playing the Bears is not that big an issue, but against the Saints' defense, you'd like to have both, uh, you know, Rojo and Leonard Fournette in there. 
I will say this, though. Leonard Fredette did manage to play a good game. Something that he hasn't really been able to do his whole career was catching balls, and he managed to do a lot of it um, What was it uh, against Washington. And, I mean, just the Buccaneers, just speaking about them, they really took it to Washington. I mean... In the first half, I should say, Taylor Heineke, though, managed to like start a comeback. And it was honestly, at, at one point, everyone thought, no way. Can this XFL quarterback, can this practice squad quarterback manage to pull it off? They fell short, though, losing 31-23. to But, yeah, I mean, looking at the Buccaneers, you know, the unlimited weapons that Tom Brady has, you know, starting off with Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, then you have wide receivers, you got... Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, who, you know, Brady and Brown have been connecting for the past couple of weeks now. Gronkowski, Cameron Brait, it's just unlimited weapons for the Buccaneers. And it's just so hard to doubt Tom Brady in the playoffs, even with a new team. And I just think about it, and I'm wondering, like, will Tom Brady ever lose in the playoffs? I understand he did last year, but when I just look at Tom Brady right now, and he managed to throw for 40 touchdown passes this year. And everyone thought, uh-oh, is Brady washed up You know, going into the season? Because at first, he looked a little rough. But never doubt Tom Brady. As much as I hate to say it as being a Jets fan, obviously he has ruined my whole life for football because he has just been dominating the AFC East and the New York Jets. But you can't deny the greatness that he has. And if I'm going back and forth about who am I choosing, the Buccaneers or the Saints, I'm, I think I'm going Bucks. I really do. NFC Championship game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Green Bay Packers. I would love to see. Can Green Bay get their redemption on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after that, what was it, 30-7 game? I think it was, what, week four, week three? It was early in the season. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it was It was definitely early in the season. Um, I'm going Saints here. Uh, I, I just like their defense as a whole, though. What they could do with Camaro on offense, Michael Thomas, obviously. Brees doesn't have to do much to win these games. Like I said, he hasn't looked good. He hasn't been doing great, but he doesn't need to do much with the, the way the team is constructed right now. Would you compare so, it to the Denver Broncos during their Super Bowl run? With yeah, Peyton with Manning? Uh, Peyton Manning on his last league. Yeah, I guess very similar. Yeah. Now also, since we are live reacting to the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State, uh, I don't know if you saw, but Ohio State's running back, starting running back, Trey Sermon, went down with an injury. He's in the locker room right now, I'm sure, getting tested. It looked like he was kind of grabbing his shoulder slash collarbone. So hopefully he'll be able to get back into this game because that would be a huge loss for for Ohio State. Like, absolutely huge. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But let's continue on. We're going to stick with the NFL talk here. We'll live react. It looks like Alabama's in the red zone right now. So let's see if they get a score here. Because I just, I, I don't know. Something about live reacting to a game. We've done it a couple times on the podcast with some uh, Monday Night Football games. It's something that I've enjoyed. So I try to make sure. And now that we record on Monday nights, it's a little easier. But, all right. Alex has the Saints. I have the Bucks. Let's move on now. Let's get to the Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens come into town against the Tennessee Titans. And they defeat them by a score of 20-13. to 13. And... The Ravens are going to be facing the Bills next week, and we'll get to the Bills game after the after this. But, Alex, I want to get to your thoughts first. Lamar Jackson has finally done it. He's won a playoff game. And, and let's not forget, he won a playoff game and managed to come back from 10 points, which is something that he's never done before. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Finally. 
yeah, definitely a big day for the Ravens. And, um, you know, I looked the whole weekend as a whole. There are six games, obviously, this year, but there was only really two entertaining games. That was the Bills-Colts and the Ravens-Titans, and they were both on Saturday, and now they're both playing each other. So, obviously, the Bills have looked amazing all year. Ravens were looking uh, sluggish, to say the least, and uh, but they've really come come to in, into their own the last couple of weeks and here in the playoffs, coming back against Tennessee last week. And uh, I think the biggest thing for them was shutting down Derrick Henry like 35 yards he had last week. Um, not really going to be an issue against the Bills, though, because they really, they rarely rush for even 35 yards a game, and that's probably coming from Josh Allen scrambling out because they like to throw the ball. They will let they let you know early, and they, they will let you know often. That's what they like to do. Josh Allen's got the big arm. He's been accurate this year. That's what they will be doing. Yeah, for sure. And real quick, before I get into my thoughts on the game, I just want to report that uh, ex-head coach of the Texans, Bill O'Brien. Supposedly, Alabama is set to hire Bill O'Brien as their next offensive coordinator. So, I, again, I, I understand that you know it's in college, but still some big news, especially that Bill O'Brien, his time with the Texans was pretty rough. But I'm sure he's you know he won't have. Of course, being an offensive coordinator for Alabama is huge, but Nick Saban will keep him under control and make sure he doesn't trade away any players or make any players transfer. I should say. <laughs> Either way, all right, so, yeah, Alex, you brought up a good point. The Ravens actually managed to stop Derrick Henry. I think, by the way, I, I think you cut him a little short. I think he had, like, 45 yards, so by 10. But either way, managing to stop Derrick Henry is, is, is huge. I mean, finally he gets over 2,000 yards, and he's just a monster. It's safe to say, one of the best running backs in the league right now, if not the best. I mean, I think you could put him as the best, especially that he got to 2,000 yards. Um, their defense really stepped it up. I mean, this is a rivalry that really goes back all the way to last season in the playoffs when Tennessee upset Baltimore. And then during the season, you have the Titans kind of standing all over the Ravens logo and stepping on it and dancing on it, whatever the case is there. This is a rivalry that's starting, and it, it has been great every time they match up. At first, again, you had the Titans go up with that 10 nothing start. A.J. Brown gets a nice receiving touchdown. You wonder, okay, is this game starting to get out of hand? I mean, 10-0, Lamar Jackson, you know, his chances aren't that good. And then somehow the Ravens managed to rally back. They finally started using J.K. Dobbins. He got involved. He scored a touchdown. Lamar Jackson running all over the field. I mean, he was your best player by far on that team, especially that offense. And he gets it done always possible. And, you know, I... I'm going to be honest, I, I've been a big hater of Lamar Jackson since he's entered. Not necessarily, I haven't been one of those that's saying he's just a running back, but just I always thought he was overhyped and everything that eventually NFL defenses would start to figure him out. But again, it's so hard to stop a broken play, honestly, because once Lamar Jackson starts to run, if he breaks one tackle, it's very hard to bring him down. The, you know, the ability, the playmaking ability he has is just unmatched, and he is a special player in this league and will be for a long time. Really, really nice job against the Tennessee Titans. Just from, you know, from a play calling stance to just execution. Everything went right. Ryan Tannehill had a couple bad throws. Marcus Peters took advantage of that, picking him off. And I don't know. It's just, I, I, was, I was impressed. The Ravens defense really stepped up. They really did. And I like the chances against the Bills. I really do. Just it, it, if the defense plays like that again, being able to slow 
down Josh Allen. It's definitely a tough job. But if they manage to compete like they did on Sunday, I really like their chances. No, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely going to be an entertaining game because, like I said, it was they were the two teams playing were the teams involved in the only two entertaining games of the weekend. So you want to look for the Bills to maybe establish the the run game because, like, they don't usually do that. So throw them off guard a little bit, and then the Ravens just got to keep playing physical defense and slowing down Josh Allen be the big thing, keeping him in the pocket, making him make those throws because you have great corners on there and. Marcus Peters and uh, Marlon Humphreys to shut down the passing game. And obviously they have the great linebacker package Queen to cover the running backs and the tight ends. So you want to make him throw the ball, try and shut that down. Contain Josh Allen in the pocket. Don't let him out. Don't let him run too much. They have a lot of young athletic guys on the defense, so they should be able to chase him around pretty well. And if you're the Bills, obviously you're going to want to air out the ball. And if, if I'm the Bills, I'm targeting Marcus Peters because Marcus Peters is a guy who likes to rely on his defense getting pressure and kind of staring into the backfield, playing zone, baiting the quarterback. And if you're Josh Allen, who likes to run around and got that huge arm, extend plays, I, I want to look at Marcus Peters' side of the field and down the field because he always gets burnt deep because he's never expecting a route to last that long. Yeah. And another thing, I, I'm glad you brought this up. You said, you know, maybe the Bills managed to get some type of running game in there. Well, they're going to be without Zach Moss now. Their rookie, he had an ankle injury. It's going to keep him out probably for the whole entire postseason if they were to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. So that means they're going to be relying a lot on second-year man Devin Singletary. And if I'm relying on Devin Singletary to really be able to run all run all over this defense, I definitely do not like his chances. Uh, I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Singletary to really turn over and you know take over this job. And then obviously them taking Zach Moss as well. I don't really think they have the faith in that either. But... They're gonna want a big game out of them. This is the time. But again, I I just I really like the Ravens' chances because really the way you put it to me is that you know it's just like they the Bills can't make any mistakes. They really can't. I feel like you make one mistake and that could lose you the game right there. It's just simple as that. There's no time for mistakes, especially in the playoffs and especially when you're versing the Baltimore Ravens. I have the Baltimore Ravens taking this one. I'm taking the Bills in this one. I just don't think Josh Allen's going to be slowed down right now. He's playing at MVP level. That defense did not look good at the beginning of the year, but they're getting back to the form that they were in past years. Remember, this defense used to be the heart and soul of this team, not the other way around. So def- defense definitely has the capability of shutting down Lamar and winning the game solely on their own. And throwing Josh Allen's ability to throw for four or five touchdowns in a game, I'm, I'm taking the Bills here. And speaking of the Bills... They defeated the Indianapolis Colts by a score of 27-24 to on Saturday. And like you said, Alex, it's definitely one of the more entertaining games, you know, throughout the whole entire wild card weekend. But, you know, the Colts had a chance. They had, honestly, multiple chances to win this game, I feel like. You know, there was just a lot of blown opportunities. And now you have to wonder, what is Phillip Rivers? What does the future look like, you know, in this league? Or even with the Colts. But... Let's get to you first. I'm just recapping the game. What you expect, what you thought from both teams and how it managed to play out. Uh, crazy game, and uh, uh, I picked it up in the second half. Uh, it, you know, back and forth type of game. Never really got uh, out of hand. Uh, what's his face? The the Bills had a you know decent lead at one point. They had like a ten point lead probably, but no, they had a two touchdown lead. I think at one point, 
and the Colts kept finding ways to come back, and eventually they it looked at the end of the third quarter, there was a minute left, the Bills just took, well, the Colts just had like an eight-minute drive, and they didn't score any points, they missed the field goal, and you looked like that could be the turning point in the game right there, and, you know, that could uh, be the Bills to take control in this one, because, you know, the Colts' whole game plan was, you know, slow it down, keep it out of Allen's hands, and, you know, slow-paced game. And then the Bills got it back and scored to make it a two-possession game with the middle left in the third, or just into the fourth quarter, I think, the drive took. And then they, boom, two-minute, five-play drive, stop on defense, two-minute, five-play drive, and the game is tied. Obviously, the Bills came back, took the lead, and whatnot. But at the end of the game, it got real crazy with the refs just seemingly giving the Colts chance after chance after chance to stay in the game. Yeah, I mean, the refs this whole entire weekend were definitely a big issue. <laughs> I mean... They were I, terrible. I feel like any playoffs, you know, especially in the NFL, fans will always highlight the refs and really just pay attention to them and making sure that, you know, everything is going good. But, yeah, like you said, it was it was clear as day. The refs were... I wouldn't even say terrible. They were just complete trash. I'll be honest. <laughs> like, I mean, and, like, it's the playoffs, right? There's six games last week that's going to be the most in any round so usually there's 16 games in a week there's six there's 10 less games now every week next week there will be four games so 12 less games but i mean you're you the whole idea is to get your best referees on the field so that this does not happen i mean that that was a really bad like that fumble at the end where Pascal got up and he clearly was not touched, or, or so it seemed. I don't know if they had another angle that they didn't show us. Nah, he, he all, wasn't touched. <laughs> all the views that they saw, showed us on TV, some of the penalties that may have, probably should not have been penalties or missed calls that should have been penalties were awful this weekend. And hopefully they can put better crews out on the field next week because, you know, that's just after, especially, like I said, you know, only two of the games were really entertaining and close games. But if your team loses in the playoffs, you want to you want to lose like the right way. You don't want to have to even consider to have to look at something the refs did and say, "Yep, you know that's why we lost." Right there, they screwed us over. That's probably why we lost the game. Like that just sucks as a fan. It, it's even worse for the players and the coaches, obviously. And it's just not a good look on the league's part. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know how I managed to miss this, but. Uh, not Najee Harris got in for a rushing touchdown, so it is seven nothing Alabama. Ohio State now is the ball, but I guess we were just deep into this playoff conversation. I wasn't even paying attention to my TV screen. Justin Fields just made a very nice pass on the sideline. You love to see that as a New York Jets fan, but yeah, I mean the NFL refs. I, I really hope they have a good rebound uh, for the divisional round because they were really, really bad. And you know, again, like you said, you just hate to see that for the game for the. For the coaches, the fans, the players, all in all, it's just it, it's really a rough situation when the refs aren't hitting it. So hopefully they'll be able to fix that. But yeah, you know it, it's hard to not love the Bills right now. Again, I just think that the Ravens, I really love their defense and have a good chance against Josh Allen. But you know, it honestly, if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers this year, I, I think jo- it, let's let's say you take away Aaron Rodgers, how he's doing. I think Josh Allen has a very good chance for that MVP. I think he would be the favorite if it wasn't for Rodgers, if I'm being honest. I understand Patrick Mahomes is Mahomes, but, you know, Josh Allen has been playing lights out. The development in year three, you know, took a huge upgrade. You know, credit to Sean McDermott. 
and the entire Bills organization for really getting it done. Josh Allen, from year one, you thought, uh-oh, you know, his accuracy. but And we even said it this year, too, earlier on the season, we were bashing on his accuracy. But throughout the whole entire season, I he, mean, yeah, definitely he got improved. Like, there was a point in the year where they, when he played the Jets, he had a guy wide open in the end zone, threw 10 feet over his head. So, obviously, some of those, ooh, some of those concerns are still there. <laughs> you saw that, but, you uh, saw that catch? Yeah, Jeremy Ruckert. Yeah. I actually went to Farmingdale, very close to us. Oh, really? Yeah, you didn't know that? I did not know that. And oh, for, yeah, yeah. for the listeners that don't know, yes, we're from Long Island, Nassau County. I won't specifically say the town, but we are from there, so that's what Alex was talking about there. But oh wow, that was an impressive catch. Yeah, he played. He played. Uh, he played our school a couple times. So is he? He's what year did he graduate? Is he our age? He was uh, two years behind us. Oh okay, so he could enter. Is he a sophomore? He was a tight end. No, I know he's a tight end, but I'm saying is he. A, so that means he's a junior now? Yeah, I believe so. Years, yeah. yeah. All right, so he can enter the draft if he wanted to. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. But anyways, yeah. Um, go Bills. I mean, Bills Mafia finally being able to get to the, uh, the stands as well. And it's going to be a very fun matchup for sure. Uh, that's definitely one I'm going to be tuning into. And I'm excited to see both of those t- two teams clash. Alex has the Bills. I the Ravens. Let's move on now. To the Los Angeles Rams, pulling the upset here, I, I would say, because, you know, going into this game, very unclear what their quarterback situation was going to be. We'll break that down in a bit, but the Los Angeles Rams defe- defeated, excuse me, the Seattle Seahawks by a score of 30-20. to 20. The Rams are going up against the Packers next week. Now, back to what I was saying, the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay were kind of unsure what the quarterback situation was going to be. Pretty much the whole entire week, Backup quarterback John Wolford had all the first team snaps because they're expecting Jared Goff to be active, but because of, you know, just finishing up surgery, what was it, 12 days ago on his thumb, they, you know, were unsure, you know, how well he was going to be throwing the ball and all the stuff. So Sean McVay kept it a secret, but John Wolford was taking first team snaps the whole entire week to get him prepared for this matchup. And he did start. Jared Goff, like I said, was active, but Wolford did get the start. Okay, that's good. You know, can can he pull it off? But I think I believe on the second drive of the game, he's running the ball again. He is a mobile quarterback, so you have to expect that he's running the ball. And instead of sliding, he dives down to you know get some extra yards. And Jamal Adams comes in, and his shoulder hits him on the head, hits his helmet. Jamal Adams hits Walford's helmet. Okay, some people said it was a dirty hit. I personally thought it was a little bit because I thought it was unnecessary. But the way Jamal Adams handled the situation in terms of reacting after the hit and, you know, going up to Walford before he walked off the field, making sure he was okay, and then tweeting about it afterwards in the game, uh, after the game, I thought he handled it very professionally. And, you know, it showed that he wasn't intending to do that in any way. But then he obviously is walking off the field. He has a neck injury. He's taken out in an ambulance. They actually got a pretty crazy photo that looked like it was a scene out of a horror movie. But so then he's out of the game, and in comes Jared Goff with, again, 12 days after a bro- uh, broken thumb, gets the surgery, and here he is throwing the football. And, I mean, everybody should have been like Troy Aikman that game. Troy Aikman throughout the broadcast was just saying how shocked he was of how Jared Goff was even able to throw the football because, you know, obviously the thumb is a very important, uh, you know, <laughs> what am I trying to say here? It's very important to throw a football. You need your thumb. You need that finger. 
for sure. And somehow they managed to get it done. I mean, the Los Angeles Rams defense from Aaron Donald to Jalen Ramsey to Darius Williams, I mean, really stepped it up. Leonard Floyd, Michael Brown. John Johnson. John Johnson. Yeah, they have such a good defense. And they really stepped up here against the Seattle Seahawks. And their dynamic offense, because let's not forget, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson. But in the end, they don't have the best offensive line. That's been the story of Russell Wilson's career in Seattle. And it definitely took effect here as Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and Leonard Floyd ate him up. No, yeah. I can't say it's too surprising because the Rams did knock off the Seahawks in the regular season. And you did see this kind of side of the Seahawks in the second half of the year, where they definitely they the first half hot. of the year they look, they looked like a you know a super team, you know ready to be messed with. Be careful, but um, definitely towards the stretch they looked uh, a little vulnerable. Definitely very vulnerable. Russell Wilson, you know, let Russ cook. wasn't cooking so hot in the second half of the year, and the Rams played a good team game. Obviously. Uh, you know, Wolford went down, Goff came in, but Goff's been their starter all year, so he you know, doesn't really need those reps. He knows what he's doing out there. Um, I wouldn't say he looked great throwing the ball, but I wouldn't say he looked any worse than he was, you know, a couple weeks ago. But um, they just got to lean on the running game. Cam Akers uh, look, looking to be a star here down the stretch for the Rams. That defense, as we aforementioned, is star-studded. You know, don't, don't turn the ball over, and they can almost win the game themselves. You know, you saw the pick six from Williams. And they're just putting points on the board, getting short fields for the offense. And if you're the Rams, you just got to keep relying on that. Because, I mean, if they can get anything out of their quarterback, this team is definitely can make a run at the Super Bowl similar to like two years ago. And when I just think about the Los Angeles Rams, I automatically think of, you have the best defensive player in the league on that team in Aaron Donald. Jalen Rams, oh. Paired up with the best quarterback in the league. And Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Jalen Ramsey can shut down anybody. It doesn't matter who he's matching up with. He honestly reminds me of Darrell Revis in his prime. How when Darrell Revis, he would follow anybody. He would cover the best wide receiver and shut them down. And that's what Jalen Ramsey does. Jalen Ramsey is an absolute monster. And no matter who is matching up against him, I don't know how much work they're going to get done. And I'm really, really excited about the matchup between Jalen Ramsey and Devontae Adams. Because we all know Devontae Adams is Aaron Rodgers' favorite target. And we all know Devontae Adams, his route running is insane. I cannot... I Honestly, of course the whole game is going to be great. But if I could just like get a camera angle of just a matchup between Adams and Ramsey the whole time, I would be 100% entertained with that as well. Oh, I'm sure they'll be showing the one-on-one matchups. You already know. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. But I'm saying like every play, just on them, boom. Get it. Even on the run plays? <laughs> Even on the run plays. Get some blocking involved there. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the Seahawks, like you said, you said it perfectly. The first half, they were electric. I mean, many thought Russell Wilson was a Super Bowl, fa- I mean, Super Bowl MVP favorite. And, you know, everyone was saying, you know, like you said, let Russ cook. And they were. But then, as the season went along, I mean, I think it all comes down to, really, the injuries that happened with the running back position, which is something, again, that's been a theme with the Seahawks lately. And kind of, you know, Chris Carson went down, and you had to rely on Carlos Hyde. But then at one point in the 
uh, during the season. They were both out, so we were relying on DJ Dallas and what Travis Homer, I think his name is. And again, you just are really not able to do that much. You need to have a consistent running game in this league in order for your offense to flow because it just opens up so much, especially with play action. And I think that was really a big issue here. And Pete Carroll came out and said it. You know, uh, I believe it was today, actually. He said that pretty much we have to run the ball better because if you can't run the ball, you know, the defense is going to eat you alive. And that was clear as day in this matchup. I mean, this, the Los Angeles Rams are something special. And it's just, like you said, you're not the biggest fan of Jared Goff. I know that. And, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not the biggest fan either. But... You just think, like, if they had a better quarterback, how improved this team would be, especially for guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. You know, they're two great wide receivers, and if they could get some more accurate passes, just imagine what they could do. And Cooper Cup, by the way, also, you saw him kind of get shaken up after a non-contact knee injury, and everyone's thinking, uh-oh, non-contact. That's got to be an ACL or something in the knee. You know, it got to be some type of tear. Thankfully, it wasn't anything crazy it was just a contusion so he's ready to go for yeah so it's actually it was it turned out to be he banged knees with one of the rams defenders so i didn't really see the play i don't know why everyone was calling it non-contact but he did bang his knee on another player yeah it kind of looked like it was non-contact i guess during the play maybe maybe it could have happened before i don't know or maybe i maybe i'm just like one of those idiots out there that thought it wasn't but (laughs) i could have sworn it was not contact anyways Still, happy to hear he's okay for sure. Um, I don't know, Alex. It is hard for me to pick against this Rams defense. But, I mean, at the same time, it's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no. Um, I don't know. This is a tricky one. Cause, um, it really is. It really is. But I'm going to take the Packers here. Their offense is explosive. And even against this Rams defense, they'll be able to do things to – to uh, slow him down, I think. And ultimately, I don't think the, uh, the Packers are going to be putting up 40 points. But, you know, I think there's a good chance they could put up four or five touchdowns in this game. And I just don't think that Jared Goff Rams will be able to keep yeah. up. Exactly. I was going to say, I, I definitely expect the Packers defense to be able to shut down Jared Goff. And then also, something that the Seahawks going to do the Packers can run the ball, and they can do it well. They have Aaron Jones, and God forbid, even if he was to get injured in the game, let's just say, they still have Jamal Williams back there, who, when needed to, you know, really hop in there, he has provided good. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I said it before, I, I think the Super Bowl could be the Chiefs-Packers, so I have to go with the Packers here. Aaron Rodgers is, is determined. He is the MVP of the league this year. I'd be shocked if anybody else wins it. And... He is determined. He's going to get there. Packers all the way. All right. So that does it for the wild card games. I'm very excited for the divisional round. But we still have some breaking news out of Philadelphia today. And let's go there right now. The Eagles have decided to fire head coach Doug Peterson. In five years of Philadelphia, he had a record of 42-37-1. And let's not forget, they did manage to win one Super Bowl. I understand this season was really rough. Everyone was wondering what's going on with Carson Wentz. Is he a fluke? What's all the stuff in the locker room going on? Jalen Hurts comes in. And then at the end, you have uh, in Week 17, Sunday Night Football against Washington. You pull Hurts and everything there. But before before I get into your thoughts, I just want to say this. 
Well, I don't really know what the situation was like in Philadelphia. It clearly was rough, but I don't know the exact details of what's happening. And I don't think anybody will. But Doug Peterson pretty much lost his whole entire locker room when he decided to pull that move. I said it on one of the shows uh, I'm on on the radio. You know, I I, I thought he, right when that happened, you had, you know, multiple Eagles players coming out saying, like, you know, why did that happen, including Miles Sanders, their starting running back. Once you did that, you lost the whole locker room, and I didn't think there was going to be a chance that they could regain it. So I think firing him is the right move in that sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Obviously, he lost the locker room, but, I mean, let's not pretend like he went all, he went rogue and made this decision by himself. Exactly. You know? No, I understand. It but definitely just, wasn't his call to pull Jalen Hurts and put in Nate Studfield. I, I understand that, and you can't just say it was him, but at the same time, all the attention is going to be put on him because he is the head coach, and technically he would be making that decision in-game. I understand it wasn't all him comes down to also general manager Howie Roseman, which a lot of Eagles fans are saying today, all right, maybe they're happy with getting rid of Peterson to kind of a fresh start, but a lot of Eagles fans are calling for his head too. Get him fired. He, you know, he is part of the reason that this whole entire thing got messed up. And, ah, it's an interesting situation in Philadelphia. That's all I have to say. Now you have to wonder what does Carson Wentz's future look like? You know, people are now reporting that it's safer now that Doug Peterson isn't there, that Howie Roseman is going to somehow keep Wentz. But at the same time, if you saw how Jalen Hurts played, don't you have to start him? It just, um, like, I understand Carson I Wentz you was... you have to start him. I would say a friendly little competition never hurt anybody. Obviously, he had that one game where he went off for four or five touchdowns against the Cardinals. But, I mean, you look at the Week 17 game against... You know, who was it? How was who they play? Week seventeen was Washington. Washington, sorry. And you look at the you look at the game. He was only like he was like nine. He was like seven for seventeen or something. And he only had like tw- like fifty yards at the half. He wasn't playing that well. Obviously, you know the rushing has a, a added element to his game, which helps his, him look better as a quarterback. But outside of that one game against the Cardinals, he didn't look amazing. He looked, you know, he showed promise and he was good. But I wouldn't say it's definitely enough to just dismiss Carson Wentz as a whole. I guess, but, I mean, the whole relationship there, I just feel like, whether it was Doug Peterson's fault or not, I mean, clearly he had some involvement. You know, I just, I didn't think Carson Wentz was going to really have a future on this team. And, oh man, Ohio State just stuffed Najee Harris in the backfield to end the first quarter there. The Alabama has the ball. Uh, it's, what is it, I think it's like third and goal now after that play. But that's going to head to commercial. But... Yeah, Doug Peterson, it, I feel like, again, it's it's probably good for both sides to get a head start. And, you know, automatically, once this, once this news broke out, you had Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, saying that, you know, a potential spot for Doug Peterson is the Jets due to his relationship with general manager Joe, Joe Douglas. And I just want to say this, that I understand the relationship is there, but that would really be a disappointing hire and just how, like, awesome this, like, head coaching candidate search has been. I think the Jets have really interviewed some interesting possibilities that I really weren't, you know, weren't expecting. And I just think that the list is great. There's a lot of good guys out there. And Doug Peterson is definitely just probably one of the most boring options out there. 
And I'm not comparing the two because, again, Gase and Peterson, <laughs> obviously Peterson is the better coach. I, I, I 100% understand that. But in terms of being a Jets fan, it just, like, if Peterson was to be hired, it would just remind me of the Gase hire where it's just, like, boring, where it's a guy who's coming, you know, getting fired from another team, and it's just, like, I just I, I don't want it. I don't want it at all. There are, like, five other guys I'd rather get hired than Doug Peterson. And I really hope that's not the case. I really, really hope not. I, I don't think it's going to be. I, I, I don't. I think Joe Douglas, he's managed to get a lot of interviews in. He literally got four done yesterday, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, he, he's been lights out in terms of trying to get this done probably as soon as possible because, again, they've managed to interview at least eight head coaching candidates right now. So I don't think just him getting released is going to affect it. Do I think he gets an interview? Sure, of course. But Sal Palantonio reported today that Doug Peterson is going to take some time to decide if he wants to be a head coach, or really any coach, in 2021. So almost like a Mike McCarthy situation there. So he'll have some time to decide that. And really, though, like again, I think that's a factor too. Depending on how long he's going to decide, the Jets might want to have a head coach by then. They might not want to wait on that. So... I just, again, I, I really don't think it's a good fit. I don't care about the connection they have. Connections don't matter. It's a, it's, it's a business. Get the best guy in there. Totally agree. Get the best guy in there. Obviously, connections uh, make up a lot of things that happen in the NFL, as, you know, they do in most business worlds. You know, you want to hire the people you know and the people you know you work with well, but sometimes you need to go for the flashy hire. Yep. And, you know, just looking at that Jets head coaching opportunity i mean adam Gase finally got fired we didn't have really a, a show at the time but obviously that's great news i mean we were hoping for that for a very long time but just looking at the options i mean i've been a fan of joe brady i said it on here you know in other shows or other episodes i should say i think that would be a great fit um brian dable defensive coordinator i understand he almost blew the game but you know just the development of josh allen has been key there I, I, I'd like, you know, he's a good option. 49ers defensive coordinator. I always mess up his name, so I'm going to let you say it. I know it's Robert, but I always mess up his last name, and I don't want to disrespect him like that. So Yeah, he, Robert Sala has been on the coaching interview tree for like a year and a half now. Last yeah. year he got some interviews as well. Yep. Eric Bieniemy as well, but supposedly Eric Bieniemy hasn't really been hitting on his interview, so he might honestly not get a head coaching job. And before I continue on, Heisman winner, Devonta Smith, Gets into the end zone, a five-yard touchdown reception that makes it 13-7 right now. So extra point is going to be coming in. Devonta Smith, what a star he is. If the Jets aren't really going to take a quarterback with that pick, I would really love it to be Devonta Smith. But ultimately, I, I still think it's going to be a quarterback. But anyways, I want to get to you. Like, Who do you think could be the next head, Jets head coach? And we're going to pretty much head out on this. Um. I honestly don't know. There's so many different guys in different many trees of the NFL. There's like defensive coordinators, defensive assistants, offensive coordinators, offensive assistants, former head coaches. We're going to interview just about every every coach the NFL has ever had before this is all said and done. I like that, though. Well, uh, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm okay with the thorough search, but um, it's hard for me to pick out one or, or another right now because there's just so many. You know, I, I'm going to wait more towards, you know, when they start narrowing it down to the second wave of interviews and then kind of look at the guys from there and see what, see what we got working with. You know who I, you know, who's a really intriguing option just because obviously he has history with the New York Jets? That's uh, the Saints defensive backs coach, Aaron Glenn. Yep. 
That yeah. is a really intriguing option. But here's the thing. I don't think I really want him as the head coach. I feel like it would be a better fit to have him as like a defensive coordinator. I think that would be good. I would like that. Defensive back coach to head coach is a huge jump, especially when you had no. It's one thing if you know he was a former head coach who just want who's a defensive backs coach now, and then you're going to interview him to be a head coach again. But he's never been a head coach, and to make the jump from a DB coach to a head coach is a pretty big jump. Yes, exactly. I 100% agree there, and I just feel like again, I you know I don't know how he would feel about getting a head coaching interview and then managed to not get that but i mean i i feel like defensive backs coach i mean defensive coordinator would be definitely be better for him but i'm just excited i'm excited for this offseason as a new york jets fan i think there's again after such a bad season there are some high hopes in the offseason especially this one i mean you have now pick two and 23 after the steelers losing to the browns so yeah, you know, there's gonna be a group, big, you know, good group of guys to bring in, and uh, I'm definitely excited as a Jets fan for this offseason, as many others should be. But before we head out, I want to ask you: Do you have any other thoughts on either with Jets national championship, wild card weekend, divisional weekend, anything you got? Throw it out here. I'm just excited to watch hopefully some competitive games this weekend because honestly. I uh, wasn't all that tuned into wild super wild card weekend because it was very <laughs> boring and it was not entertaining. So I would like to see some good playoff football. Obviously, it's you know when your team's not in the playoffs, you're less interested, and when the games are very boring, it makes it even less interested. But football is still football. I still love to watch it, and I just really want to watch some competitive, you know, Hall, Hall of Fame type quarterbacks this weekend and great teams go at it. Yeah. And I will say this, I really do feel bad for my couch because for two straight days from 1 o'clock to pretty much around 10 o'clock, I was sitting there not getting up or doing anything. Of course, I took some occasional breaks, especially when the games got boring. Maybe I hopped on Xbox for a little and whatever, but I was on that couch for a little bit and I'm sure uh, it's never going to be the same. It's going to have a permanent indent. I mean, it already has from all my years of watching football in the same spot, but after that, it's going to be even more slanted. But yeah, you know, like you said... I'm excited to watch some good football, hopefully, next Saturday and Sunday. I'm really excited for these matchups. I think every single one of them is pretty great, and I think they have a chance to be spectacular. Of course, there's always going to be that one game that might be a little slow, but, again, that usually always happens in the NFL, or really just in sports. There's always that one game that's boring. But, yeah, uh, go Ohio State. Go Justin Fields. You know, you know. Hopefully that'll be the Jets pick at two because again I, I'm kind of ready to move on from San Darnold personally, but yeah, go Ohio State. It's fourteen to seven right now before we head out, just so everybody knows. But everyone, thank you for listening. Dominic Garbolino, Alex Warner, like always. We'll be back next week with another episode to wrap up the divisional round, uh, preview the conference championship games, and you know any other breaking news from there. So everybody have. A great week whenever you're going to listen to this. I hope your day is great. I hope it's going great. And ultimately, just enjoy the day. Stay safe. Stay safe, exactly.